0: Um, God has just put it on my heart to share, for a while, I don't know how long, I don't really even know for sure where next Sunday is going, but I'm just waiting on God week by week to share some thoughts about becoming like Christ. And if you really know Him, and you love Him, that's your desire. And Paul gives his testimony in Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to be focusing on a specific aspect of it this morning in verse 9, but for the sake of context, let me read again, beginning in verse 7 uh, down through verse 16. Follow along. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on, in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Paul, as we shared last week, has expressed the passion of his life. He has said very clearly, there's, there's one goal that motivates me. It motivates me beyond all other goals. It is a goal that is so worthwhile that I have willingly surrendered everything else in my life. I have subordinated all the other things in my life for the purpose of gaining this one goal. And that goal is, I want to know Jesus. I really want to know Him. I want to walk with Him. I want to experience Him. I want to feel His presence. I want to understand His heart. I want to know Jesus Christ in a personal, intimate, relational way. That, that's what motivates me. And I'm willing, if necessary, to sacrifice everything to obtain that goal. That's the, the driving Force of my life so if you want to understand the Apostle Paul as you read kind of the New Testament and all of his exploits and great missionary journeys and all those other kinds of things if you really want to know his heart this is it the the motivating factor for everything that he does he says I want to know Jesus and and I hope that that's your goal I, I hope that that's the passion of your heart that, Underneath all the dust and rubble and clutter of life, and you know, you get down to the bottom line that what drives you, what motivates you is a passionate yearning to be close to Jesus Christ. But we can't talk about having a relationship with God without also talking about godliness, holiness, righteousness. The scripture says, how can two walk together? unless they're in agreement. And if you're not on the same page with God, in terms of His character and who He is, then it's hard to have a relationship with Him. It, you just can't talk about walking with Jesus Christ without also, sort of in the same breath, talking about being a godly or a Christ-like person. That, that's a part and parcel of the same passion. And Paul expresses that in this passage when he says, I want to know Him. But in verse 9 he says, And be found in Him. Look at that. Be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul says... As I pursue Jesus Christ, I also want to, to to be found. You know, what do you do when you find something? You, you you discover it. You look and it's, whoa, there it is. And he says, when you discover me, I want to look like Jesus. I, I not only want to be walking with him, I want to reflect him. I want to look like him. I want to act like him. That's That's my goal. Now, When we talk about the term righteousness, and you can use all kinds of terms to talk about this idea. You can talk about godliness. You can talk about holiness. You can talk about sanctification. Some people have trouble with that because it's a theological word. You know, you can talk about Christ-like character. You can talk about being made in His image. But at some point or another, all of those terms go back to to the root of righteousness, and righteousness is an objective standard. It's not a, a, a loosey-goosey situational ethic, you know, that, well, it's what's good for you, it's not good for me, and what's okay... It's, not, it's an objective standard. It is the character of God. And God is unchanging. So His righteousness is, is fixed, and there's a standard. And one day... If a person is not found in Jesus Christ by faith, they will stand before God's bar of justice and they will be measured by the standard. And the standard will be Jesus Christ, His perfect holiness. And, and whether they measure up will, will be the determining factor and we know how that's going to turn out because none of us measure up. So, when we come down to righteousness there are kind of two sides to this coin. And I want to talk about those for a moment because we have to kind of lay this foundation in order to move into Paul's testimony and his experience. Righteousness in the life of a Christian can be expressed as two two sides of this coin. The first kind of righteousness not really different, but it's the way it's applied, is the righteousness which comes to us in the moment of salvation. It comes to us on the basis of faith when we are born again and God gives us righteousness. Let me kind of back up and explain how that happens just by way of review. When we come to Jesus Christ, and I want all of you to just think for a moment, I want you to kind of dial back the history, and go back to that day that you invited Jesus Christ into your life. The day that you recognized that you had sinned, that you needed a Savior, and that you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life. The Bible says that when you did that, some very specific things happened to you. And one of those things that happened was On the basis of faith, God, I believe that what Jesus Christ did on the cross is sufficient to pay for my sin. You may not have used those terms, but that's what you meant. I believe that Jesus died for me. I accept His payment for my sin. And I repent of my sin and turn to you and ask you to apply that to my life. I want to receive Jesus Christ and the payment that He has made for my sin. When you did that, the Scripture says that God justified you on the basis of your faith. And that justification means that in the sight of God, all of your sin was credited to Jesus' payment on the cross. All of your sin. And all of His righteousness was credited to to you. He gave you a gift of righteousness. He made you judicially pure and holy in His presence. This is real important that we have this foundation beneath us because it makes all the difference in the world in how we relate to God, friends. Do you know this morning for sure, on the basis of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? That all of your sin is on Christ and all of His righteousness is on you. It is a done deal. And you stand this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ. You stand in the presence of God with no sin to your account. No Guilt for which you are responsible. No judgment that is awaiting you. You are absolutely holy in Jesus Christ. That's why the New Testament calls every single believer a saint. It's not because we all act like saints. <laughs> but it is because we all are judged holy. On the basis of what Christ has done. We are given the righteousness of Christ. Paul says in the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. In order that the righteousness of Christ might become ours. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So think about that for a moment. Let it sink in. Do you know in your heart of hearts this morning that you have the righteousness of God applied to your life? And that when you stand before Him, He does not look at you with any sense of judgment, with any condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no impending doom. God is not up there ready to smack you down the next time because, you know, He's angry with you. He has completely forgiven you in Jesus Christ. And as a child of God, you will never be punished for your sin. Okay? You will never be punished for your sin. Jesus Christ has borne the punishment, and and the debt was paid on the cross, and you're free. We need to understand this before we really can move further in the Christian life, because otherwise, if we don't get it, we spend a lot of our lives living under a cloud of guilt, struggle, and frustration, and feeling like we're in an adversarial relationship with God. Like He's just, you know, He's the the big judge in the sky and he's just kind of waiting for us to mess up next. And we we live that way and we never have that clear conscience. And Tristan was preaching a couple of weeks ago from First John, talking about this, beloved, if our hearts condemn us, you know, if we have that sense of condemnation, we have a hard time being free with God. God wants us to be free in His presence. So, so there is a kind of righteousness that we are given that is a judicial or an imputed righteousness. If you have the study guide, there's two blanks there under Roman numeral 1, letter A. And If you want to fill in the blanks, the two words are imputed or judicial. And imputed simply means God credits it to our account. It's not pretend, it's real. Jesus paid the debt. It's finished. And God credits us with His righteousness. And judicially, we are justified and free from sin. We have the holiness of God in Jesus Christ. But then there's another side to the equation of righteousness. And that is, when we come to know Jesus Christ, now think back again to that moment, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, when we come to know Jesus Christ, we begin a journey. And that journey includes a gradual transformation. And if your experience is like mine and and the experience and testimony of different biblical characters, uh, you will recognize that probably after your conversion, within that moment and perhaps the next day, you felt amazingly clean. You felt pure. You felt washed. You you were you had peace not only with God judicially, but you had peace in your heart. For the first time, you felt like you had shed the load of weight and and all of that. And um, and you probably noticed some things that that changed right away. Uh, God just has a way of touching. Some of those big issues of our lives and, and beginning to fix them almost immediately. And, and it's like, wow, you now this is, God is really working in my life. But then as you move along, you notice that there's still a lot of you creeping in, you know? And God begins a process of day by day making you over into the image of Jesus Christ. He's, he's working on that transformation. It's both instantaneous, but it's also progressive. And he's working on that. And as he does that, we find that if, if you're following Christ, and you can look back and you can see the difference. You're kind of like Paul says, not as though I'm already perfect, but he says, I've, go- I've gone somewhere. I've made some progress. And I can look back and see the change. Can you look back and see the change? Can you see that you're different today than you used to be? Can you also see that you're not where you want to be? That you're in process, that God is at work in your life. That process is called, two more blanks, practical or experiential righteousness. And by that, we talk about the kind of righteousness that is actually worked out in our lives in practice, day by day. It has to do with how we behave. Not who we are, but how we act. And I, and I really want you to see the difference between that. Who are we? We are holy saints in Jesus Christ in the presence of God. How do we act? Eh, More or less like that, (laughs) you know, somewhere along the journey. We are saints, but we practice and act on a daily basis in part dependent upon our maturity in Christ and also depending on our understanding of what I want to get to here. Because as we're looking at Paul's testimony in Philippians chapter 3, I think a good question to ask is what kind of righteousness is he talking about here? When he says, I want to know Him, and I want to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through Jesus Christ. A righteousness not based on law, but based on that comes from God based on faith. That's the kind of righteousness I want to have. I believe that this entire chapter, even chapter 2, this whole section... Paul is talking about his daily walk, his daily practice. He's talking about his experience. He's not talking here about positional holiness in Christ, but he's talking about practical daily living. He says, when people look at me, I want to be found having a righteousness that has come through faith in Jesus Christ. Not one that is based upon the law. And as we look at his statement, he says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. I do not think, and I believe I have strong Scripture for this, I do not think that Paul got the depth of this in the blink of an eye, on the road to Damascus. And let me explain why. The Apostle Paul had spent his entire life seeking to become a law keeper. Now, our motivations do get mixed up. And he may have liked the idea of being a Pharisee, And as he got into seminary and people began to talk about what what a bright future he had, he kind of might have warmed up to the idea of, boy, I could be the leading teacher of Israel someday. Those motives are probably in there. In fact, now that I think about it, they probably were because Paul said the thing that tripped me up in the law was don't covet. He said it wasn't the outward stuff everybody could measure, it was what was going on inside of me that was my problem. You know, so maybe all of that stuff was going on in there. But but his basic motivation was I want to be a good Jew. I want to be a godly person. I want to I want to do the right thing. I have a friend who lives in North Chicago in in, in a neighborhood, blocks and blocks and blocks of Orthodox Jewish people. And they're Orthodox Jews. They keep the law. They obey every jot, every tittle. They follow it to the letter. You know, they, they just, they, in ways, I won't even bore you with the details, but it's just amazing the lengths to, to which they go. I think I told you the story. I will tell you one story. I think I told you maybe before that um, he had a neighbor one time that, <clears throat> that came over, and the pilot light had gone off on her stove. And so she came over. She's standing on the steps, and she's there, and she's talking about, um, you know, uh, having problems in the kitchen or whatever. And uh, never mentions that she needs him to light the pilot light because if she asks him to go light the pilot light, she's asking him to work on the Sabbath, which would be sinning and inducing him to sin. So, but if if a Gentile volunteers to sin, well then that's okay. That's that's not the problem. So, so you know she's kind of she's kind of hemming and hawing around, and finally he gets the idea. He says, "Has your pilot light gone out? Uh, out? Well, yeah. Um, well, would you like me to come light it? Well, if you want to, you know, because she couldn't light it." And she couldn't ask him to light it, but if he wants to go volunteer to sin, that's up to him and he can come light the pilot light. Well, I I mean, they go to great lengths to follow the letter of the law. And if you say, why are you doing that? You know, they won't say, I'm trying to earn my way to heaven. What they will say is, this is how you honor God. This is how you worship God. Keeping the law is the greatest respect and reverence we can give to a holy God. And so this is what you do. And so all of Paul's life, he is taught the way to worship God is to obey the law. He has become a student of the law. He's become a teacher of the law. Now he's so jealous for the law that he is persecuting the church because he sees it as a threat to the Jewish way of life and to the freedom they have in Rome. He's wanting to wipe out the church. And it's in, the, it's in that moment that God stops him in his tracks. The, the light blinds him. His eyes are open. Jesus a, a appears to him and reveals Himself as as the Lord and the Messiah and Paul is converted amazingly and then he goes back to the city and and God tells him to wait there and somebody's going to come and minister to him and, and, and he's going to be shown all the things that he must suffer. And then he goes away for a long period of time back up the Antioch and you don't hear much about Paul for quite a few years. And I really believe in my heart of hearts that while he was in that quiet period, because God does this with all of us, God was teaching him. I don't think, my opinion, okay, I could be wrong, I don't think that the day after his conversion, Paul became a ham-eating, bacon-eating Gentile. I I just don't think he did that. I think that God began to work in his life to prepare him to be the apostle of the Gentiles. And paramount in making that transition was that Paul really get it about the purpose of the law. He had to know the difference between law and gospel. He had to know that to be the apostle of the Gentiles. He had to know that for the church, but he clearly had to have that straight and so his own testimony is in Romans chapter seven, and many people say, "Where does Romans seven occur in the life of Paul? You know the passage where he says that i, I try to do stuff and and I, and I can't and i and the things i hate i 'm doing and he says, I, I'm just miserable. I, I'm trying to be good, and I'm being bad, and I hate being bad, and I'm doing terrible stuff, and I don't know what to do about it. I'm struggling. People say, where did that occur in Paul's life? I honestly believe that it occurred after his conversion back in Antioch as he wrestled with the, the, the question of how do I live for Jesus Christ. How does this work? How do I live this out? And Paul's testimony is, I, I read the law and I agree with it. And it's good. I, yes, I like that. I, I'm with God on this subject. And I, I determine I'm going to keep it. And the next thing I know, I'm falling flat on my face. And I read the things I shouldn't be doing, and I agree. I I hate those things. And why do I do them? Do you have those? Do you have those experiences? You don't have to raise your hand. Do you? Do you know the feeling of having behavior in your life that just mystifies you? I hate this. I, I. It doesn't even make sense. Why is this happening? Why do I do these things? You know, or contrary wise, I know what I ought to do. Why do I mess up when I'm in this situation? Why do I do that? Paul says, that's where I was. And I'm struggling. And I'm trying. And I'm failing. And that's where he comes to that conclusion. He says... There's nothing good in me. The more more I've been at this, the more I've realized I can't produce. And he says, who will help me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he introduces that wonderful, hopeful phrase, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. So I really believe that Paul, as he's talking about his testimony here, he says... I purpose to know Jesus. That happened on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? <laughs> that was the first question he asked, and he's been pursuing that ever since. I want to know Jesus Christ. I really want to know him. And as he's pursued that, he's recognized, and to walk with him, I have got to be in agreement with him. I've got to be in harmony with him. I've got to be on the same page as he is. And his first experience was not good. He struggled and he failed. And so he now gives his testimony. This is a long time later. His quiet years in Antioch have long passed. He's already written the letter to the Roman church. He wrote that in Corinth on his way back to Jerusalem before he got arrested. Now a couple more years have passed. He's sitting in jail in Rome waiting for trial and he's writing this letter to the Philippians. And he said, This is my testimony. I want to know Christ, and I want to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness. I don't want people to see the best I can do. I want to be found in Him with a righteousness that has been produced in me by faith, the righteousness that derives from God and comes. By faith. So I want to ask the question this morning, what is the difference between those two righteousnesses? One of which doesn't measure up very well. If you look at the bottom of your uh, outline, down at the very end, and by the way, I apologize for the small type. I don't know how I did that, but anyway. Look at the bottom, um, my own righteousness, righteousness from God. Those bolded lines at the bottom we can kind of follow a trail that illustrates the difference. My own righteousness looks like this. Read the law. Decide to obey. Then, the moment of temptation or crisis comes. Ask for help. Struggle to obey. And then, Pass or fail. The sad thing is, is that we actually do pass sometimes. Which kind of reinforces the idea that it might work. And I don't think that's by accident. (laughs) I think that's the devil trying to keep us in that destined to fail track. But sometimes we do pull it off. However, there always comes a point at which it breaks down. Now, when you read that, Ask yourself the question, are we talking about an indifferent person here who doesn't care anything about Jesus Christ? I mean, look at, look, at the, look at the state. Read the law. Who reads the law? People that don't care anything about following Christ? No. This is the testimony of most Christians. This is the testimony of the church today for the most part in our country. This is the message that is preached in pulpits all across America. Here's the law. Do your best. I grew up with this. I know this is the, the message that is given. You start by reading the law. Who reads the law? People who want to do it right. Okay, I, re- I read it. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is it's good for edification. For the need of the moment that it may provide grace and encouragement to those who hear. You you, you read Ephesians chapter 4 this morning in your devotions. And and that stood out to you because you've you've had a problem with your mouth. And you read that passage. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. So you read the law. You decide, yes, that's what I need. I need to guard my tongue. I'm not very good at keeping my mouth shut. I need to say encouraging things. I, and I'm not talking about ugly profanity stuff here. I'm talking about just, you know, I, I need to stop being critical. I, I need to be more encouraging. I, I need to be um, more kind. In my, this is what I need. So I agree with that. And then you say, I'm going to do it. You decide to obey. And then um, somebody comes across your path that just Ticks you off. Now here's the crisis. Here's the crunch time, and you remember what you read, and so you say, "Okay, God, I really want to say, so help me, help me, not to do that." And because it's fresh in your mind, you kind of sweat your way through that one, you know, and then and then you you go on later in the day and. Then tomorrow you read a different passage and you forgot the, the let no one wholesome word and now you're back to the same old stuff again. And you say, oh man, I can't keep it all together. I, I, I just can't keep all these rules in my head. Am I talking about anybody you know? Okay. The experience of wanting to do right, trying to do right, reading the law, agreeing with the law, deciding to obey the law, putting forth your best effort. You know, when we pray, sometimes our our own speech betrays us. Because if I were to correct you, you would say, oh, I know that. But really, we betray ourselves in our speech. Lord, help me. What are you praying? Lord, help me. I'm the one responsible here. I have to do the action. If I just had a little bolstering from God, I could make it happen. Lord, help me. And the Apostle Paul says, what I discovered was, (laughs) I don't have anything to contribute. There's nothing good in me. I'm a zero. I don't have anything to offer. So helping me, you know, is like multiplying by zero. It, you get nothing. It doesn't work. And eventually you fail. And I want to tell you folks that that's where most Christians live. Sadly, because in many cases they've, they've never been taught any different. But notice what Paul says in Philippians 3. His whole life has changed. He says, I used to be a law keeper. I don't want to be that anymore. I have counted my Pharisaism as rubbish. I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to know Him. This is relationship-based, not law-based. And it has a totally different starting point. So I want to take you back, if you have your quiet time in the morning, I want to take you back to your morning quiet time. Here's the law. Read the Bible, find out what it says to do, try to do it. Here's the relationship moment. Lord Jesus, I love you. I, I want to spend time with you today. I want to walk with you today. I, I, just, I, I really want to be focused on you today. I want to spend some time right now worshiping you. And when you leave wherever your bedroom or your you know recliner by the fireplace or wherever you are and you go out into your day, you say, "Lord, I want to I want to walk with you." That's my only passion today. What about what about holiness? What about righteousness? About all those things you're supposed to do. May, may I say to you, that's not your problem. That's not your job. He has been made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. That's His job. That's not your job. Your job is to love Him and abide with Him. It's His job to live through you and perform. Righteousness. How does that look? Well, instead of trying to keep all this in your head, all you have to do is focus on Jesus Christ. Where does the Scripture say that you're supposed to focus on your sin and your problems to try to overcome them? What verse of the Bible says, you've been saved, now, now focus on your failures and try to do better? What verse says that? It says, you have died... Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, not the things that are on this earth. We're called to walk with Jesus, not to worry about our sin. And, and when I say that, you know, and I got some of those looks this morning at eight o'clock, when I say that, people think, what'll happen if you do that? Well, I'll tell you what'll happen. Jesus will take care of you. He is faithful. Do you see what Paul says here? I want the righteousness derived from God that comes on the basis of faith. Where's the faith? I believe, God, You are going to do it. Just like You saved me, and I believed You for that, I believe You're going to make me like Christ. That's your job. I believe it. I accept that by faith. I'm not going to work at that. I just want to walk with you. I want to love you. So you're going through the day, and that same person comes by, and they tick you off. Maybe they don't even tick you off now. Maybe they're punching buttons, but there's no response. And the Holy Spirit in you says, You don't have to say that. You can say this. And you say, okay. Yes, Lord. And he goes into action and does the work. Do you see the difference? This is huge. This is huge. How many of you have the whole Bible memorized? Genesis to Revelation, you've got every verse, you've got it all. You know all the rules. Anybody? (laughs) Okay, no takers. All right? How many of you? No, I don't. How many of you think the Holy Spirit has the Bible memorized? Okay, He knows it all, right? And He knows no matter what you face, He knows the God answer. He knows just how to apply whatever principle in precisely the needful way in the circumstances you're in. He knows exactly what to do. He wrote the book, and it's natural to his character, it's who he is. He knows how to respond. In every situation. You don't have to memorize it. I'm not telling you don't memorize Scripture. What what I'm trying to do is free you up. You don't have to keep all the rules in your head because the Holy Spirit knows them automatically. And when you're faced with a situation, if you're walking with Jesus Christ by faith, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to do or not to do or prompt you to do something that you hadn't thought of. The Holy Spirit will guide your life. How do I know that? The Scripture says it's true. If you want to know the teaching, He will teach you. If you want to follow the way, He will show you. God promises that. I had several conversations with a number of different people this past week over last Sunday's message, and we were talking about, you know, I want to know Jesus Christ. Okay, but people say, well, I I agree with that, and look, my life's falling apart. Okay, wait a minute. Let the Holy Spirit examine your heart. Do you really want to know Him? I quoted the verse, let God be true, though every man be a liar. I quoted that reference to Genesis and science. It applies to everything. The scripture says, God himself says, and you shall seek me and you shall find me when you search for me with all your heart. And David said, as the deer yearns for the fresh stream after being heated and driven in the chase, The panting, yearning of the deer for the water brook. So my soul thirsts for you, O God. How hungry are you for God? How thirsty are you for God? He promises you that if you hunger and thirst for Him, you'll find Him. And then He promises you that if you will rest in Him by faith, He will not let you down. Friends, I can, I can preach this message and not be worried that you're going to go way off the reservation. And the reason I know that is because David in Psalm 39 says in the likeness of hungering after God and the desires of his heart, he says the steps of the righteous man are ordered by the Lord and even if he stumbles, he will not be utterly destroyed because God upholds him with His hand. You know, we were walking along yesterday at the picnic. Uh, I had my little grandson, Caden, by the hand. And we were walking along by the lake shore there. Uh, and he was wanting to put a stick in, you know, and stir the water and drag the seaweed up and sling it on me and what, <laughs> whatever else he could get into. But, but I had him by the hand. I don't know what Caden weighs, but it's a whole lot less than me. He's a little guy. And I've got his hand. And he's in no danger of landing in the lake. As long as I'm standing. I can't guarantee me, but he's not landing in the lake because I've got him. God holds you up with his hand. You know, if you want to know him, if you want to follow him, he says, leave the righteousness bit to me. I will take care of it. Start your days looking at me. Walk with me. And I will take care of you. And when those moments come, should I or shouldn't I? Should I do this or that? Go here? I don't know. When those moments come, He will tell you what to do. I guarantee it. If you've never heard the voice of God, you're not sure you've heard the voice of God, I want to challenge you to put Him to the test this week. Put Him to the test. Stop worrying about the rules. Get before God. Say, Lord Jesus, I really just want to know You. I want to walk with You. That's my heart's desire you will hear His voice. However He chooses to talk to you, you will hear His voice. He will guide you. You will know. And He will lead you back to the Word to refine your understanding. I'm not telling you that you don't read the Scriptures again. You don't read them to obey them in the sense that I must do this and then try that. The Holy Spirit leads you into a revelation of His own character and nature as you, as He leads you into the Word. He will do that also. And He will refine your understanding of His character and His nature. And you begin to see with new eyes what He's all about. And it will make sense. And then when you hear His voice and some imposter comes in and it's just totally bizarre, you'll my sheep hear my voice, and another they will not follow. Because you will say, ah, that is not God. I know God, and that's not Him. And He will lead you. Paul says, I want to be found in Him. Not having any kind of righteousness that I have produced. Because that's a futile goal. But having the one that comes from Jesus Christ on the basis of faith, it does not originate with the law. It originates with God. And it comes through my life as I rest in Him and believe that He will do it through me. Not, Lord, help me. Lord, I rest. You work. I abide. You act. I live in You. You live through me. That's Paul's testimony. And he says it in so many different ways. I'm crucified with Christ. But I'm still breathing. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not me. The life that you see me living now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I live a life of faith. And what you see is Jesus living through me. Father, I pray that you will move us a little closer toward the uh, understanding and the appropriation by faith of what it means to trust you to produce godly character in our lives. To believe that you are able and you are always ready to guide us. Lord, free us from the bondage of self-made religion and bring us into the glorious freedom of abiding in Jesus Christ. We want to know you, Lord Jesus. And if that's our passion, we don't have time to worry about all this other stuff. We want to know you. We want to know you. Thank you that you will care for the rest. In Jesus' name, amen.